ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد So last week then we were looking at how the enemies of Islam they began to arise in those early years and in particular we were looking at the different types of people the groups the sects who denied the sunnah of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam we had a look at some of the actions of the rafidah and how they rejected the sunnah that they claimed the companions hid nine tenths of the quran and they essentially declared the companions to be kuffar except a few and the reason why they declared them to be kuffar or what we could say is one of their objectives behind that or something they achieved out of that by declaring the companions as kuffar it meant that they were declaring the sunnah as unacceptable because if the narrators of that sunnah for them are unacceptable they are kuffar or that they are treacherous and they betrayed the messengership betrayed that revelation that came if that is the characteristics they accuse the companions of then they are untrustworthy according to them and that means their narrations cannot be accepted and so they rejected the sunnah in this way wal islam kulluhu kitaban wa sunnatan laysa lil ummati tariq lima'rifatihi an rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wasallam illa as-sahaba what we do have to understand is that all of islam the quran and the sunnah none of it is accessible to this ummah to us except by way of the companions all of it came through by way of those companions the chains of narration all through those companions because they are the ones who learnt it and took it directly from the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam faman radda ma jaa min tariqihim fa min ayna lahu tariq akhar يَعْرِفُ بِهِ مَا جَاعَ الرَّسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمَ So whomsoever rejects that which came via the companions, rejects what came via the companions, then where is that person going to get his Islam from? Where are those people going to learn their religion from? Where do they take from? If they reject the pathway coming through the companions with all of those chains and narrations 
ولمزيد تفصيل عن موقف الرافضة من السنة المطهرة فليراجع منهاج السنة النبوية لشيخ الإسلام الحافظ ابن تيمية We mentioned last time that whomsoever wants more details regarding the Rafida and their stances, details regarding them and the refutation of them, then one of the good books to reference is the book of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, Minhaj al-Sunnah al-Nabawiyyah. هَذَا بِنِسْبَ لِلْعُصُورِ الْمَاضِيَةِ أما في العصر الحاضر فإن الاستعمار الغربي لم يكد ينتهي من اتمام إحكام سيطرته على بلاد المسلمين حتى شرع وذلك عبر طلاعه من المبشرين والمستشرقين في إحياء من دفر من البدع والآراء المنحرفة والفرق والطوائف المعادية للإسلام والتي كان قد غرسها من قبلهم أسلافهم من أعداء الإسلام من يهود ونصار ومجوس صابئة Now as well in these times those deviated ideologies they persist the deviated ideologies from the time of the Rafida and the deviations of those early years they persist to this day that the people attempt to reject the sunnah, and they say this narrator this, and that narrator that, authentic, reliable narrators, and they are attempting to cast doubt upon them. In fact, one of the greatest doubts that they attempt to cast, is the claim that the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam, what we see now in the books, al-Bukhari, Muslim, etc., they say those books were written when? At the time of the Prophet ﷺ? At the time of the companions? At the time of the next generation? Or even later than that? Even later. Al-Imam al-Bukhari was born 200 years after the Prophet ﷺ approximately. Al-Imam Muslim 200 years later. They say these books were written 200 years after Bukhari, Muslim, all these books. So those narrations in there that were written down, recorded into these books, that was done maybe 200 years after the Prophet ﷺ. How can we be sure it's all accurate? How can we be sure? Because in those early days, in the first 100 years, 200 years, they never had any books. They never had any books. They never wrote them down. It was just memory passed on all the time. Then at the time of Al-Bukhari, a Muslim, they wrote them down into those books. So were they really accurate by then? That's what they claim. They claim that there were no books, there was no writing, the hadith weren't written and recorded up until 200 years later when Bukhari, a Muslim, came. They were the first ones to write them down properly. Before that, people just memory passing it on and narrating passing it on. Nothing properly written down. So by the time it did get written down 200 years later, who knows how many mistakes there were. That's what they claim. The reality is, 
It is not like that. The reality is, as we mentioned, they used to write things down well before that. They used to write things down at the time of the Sahaba. They used to write things down at the time of the Tabi'een. Writing has occurred from long before Al-Bukhari and Muslim put together these books. Yes, at the time of Al-Bukhari and Muslim, books were being written down in a much more organized way. But before then, they had writings, the Sahaba, the Tabi'een, they would write down narrations, they would write down Qur'an, they had parchments and papers. So these types of doubts, they want to bring them to try and negate the Sunnah. They say, but Al-Bukhari was the first one to write these books like this at the time of Bukhari and Muslim. They were 200 years after the Prophet. What happened in that 200 year gap? How can we be sure these books written 200 years later are accurate now? They want to bring all those types of doubts to cast doubts upon the authenticity of the Sunnah. We know there were valid, authentic chains of narration for Al-Bukhari to the Prophet ﷺ, Muslim to the Prophet ﷺ. There were writings that occurred before that too. So we know it is valid and authentic what is in the Sunnah. But they continue to come and uh, uh, cast doubts, <coughs> to cast doubts upon what is available and what is known from the Sunnah. The other point then, remember there were two main points. The second main point was their rejection of the singular narrations. That they used to say, if this hadith is only narrated by one or just a few people, then there's doubt over its validity. If it's narrated by many people, okay, we'll take those. But the khabar al-ahad, the singular narrations, they wouldn't accept. We already briefly spoke about that, that this is incorrect, this opinion of theirs. Singular narrations are taken. If the narrators are reliable, authentic, they are taken. The mu'addin when he does the adhan and announces to the people the time of the prayer, that is one narrator. At the time when the qibla changed and the man went to Quba to tell them he was one narrator and they accepted his narration and changed direction. But this is the second point we'll touch upon now. How some of the people of deviation rejected those singular narrations. لم يكن هناك خلاف بين أحد من السلف في القرون الثلاثة المفضلة في وجوب العمل بسنة دون تفريق بين ما سمي فيها فيما بعد بخبر الأحاد وما سمي بالمتواتر. There was never any difference between the salaf. Never any difference between the salaf. In the first three virtuous generations, upon the fact that it is an obligation to act upon all of the sunnah, without making any differentiation between multiple narrations or singular narrations, what was authentic was acted upon. There was no such thing as but these narrations, this and those narrations, that if they are authentic, they are acted upon. That was in consensus with the Salaf, no dispute or difference amongst them on that. 
Neither did they differentiate between principles in the religion, the foundations or the branches of the religion, primary and secondary matters. They didn't differentiate on those affairs. What is authentic is acted upon. If it's in the principal affairs of the religion, if it's in the secondary affairs of the religion, if it's authentic, that is the point. Authentic narrations are acted upon. These differentiations, but this and but that and but this, all of those types of differentiations were brought about by the people of deviation. To try and cast doubt upon the sunnah, but those ones you can't take them because of this, and those ones you can't accept because of that. The reality is none of that is correct. Those classifications that they made are incorrect. But, لَمَّا بَزَغَتْ بَعْضُ رُؤُوسِ الْفِتْنَةِ فِي عُصُورِ السَّلَفِ الْأُولَى وَرَدَّتِ السُنَّةِ أَوْ بَعْضَهَا هَبُّوا جَمِيعًا فِي وُجُوهِهِمْ وَحَظَّرُوا مِنْهُمْ In the early days, when some of the people of deviation began doing that, rejecting some of the sunnah, bringing across these doubts, at that time the salaf, they went strong against them. They were very tough in their stance against them. And they warned the people against them. We've already come across some of the statements like the statement of Ayyub Sikhtiyani, إِذَا حَدَّثْتَ الرَّجُولَ بِالسُنَّةِ فقال دعنا من هذا وحدثنا بالقرآن فعلم أنه ضال مضل that if you talk to a person with the sunnah and he says leave that aside talk to us with the Quran then know that he is misguided misguiding others if they tell you forget the sunnah just the Quran leave us with that then know that they are misguided Al-Imam Shafi'i rahimahullah ta'ala said, when he was talking about the innovators and their rejection of the sunnah, etc. Al-Imam Shafi'i rahimahullah, ya'aqid faslaini fil-raddi ala ha'ula'il mubtadi'ah, al-lazina ahdathu al-qawla bi-raddi sunnah aw ba'adiha. Al-Imam Shafi'i, it's mentioned, he put down two chapters regarding his refutation upon these innovators who were rejecting the sunnah or parts of the sunnah. Al-Faslu al-Awwal, the first chapter that he wrote, فِالرَّدِّ عَلَى طَائِفَةِ الَّتِي رَدَّتِ سُنَّةِ مُطْلَقًا Refutation upon those who were rejecting the sunnah absolutely. وَذَلِكَ فِي كِتَابِ جِمَاعِ الْعِلْمِ And that is in his book known as The, 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 the Gathering of Knowledge. And that is printed within his book Al-Umm. His other chapter was The refutation upon those who reject singular narrations. So from the time of Al-Imam Al-Shafi'i, they were refuting these innovators, refuting these deviants, who were rejecting the sunnah or rejecting aspects of the sunnah, sections of the sunnah. So that is something which occurred in those early times. That is something which occurred from those early times that there were people of deviation 
trying to bring doubts upon the sunnah. Nowadays, when all of these Muslims, you see the different groups and the different sects, a lot of it comes down to this. A lot of them will say, no, but we don't accept this hadith. And no, we don't accept that narration. And our imam said this narration only. We need to understand what the sunnah is. And that all of it, the authentic sunnah, must be acted upon. It is not a case of my imam said this, and the Shafi'i said this, and the Maliki said this, and the Hanafi said this, and the, uh, the Hanbali said this. It is not about that. It is about this sunnah that is revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Revelation that was sent down. We saw earlier in that narration, كَانَ جِبْرِيلُ يَنْزِلُ عَلَى النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ بِالْقُرْآنِ كَمَا يَنْزِلُ عَلَيْهِ بِالسِّنَّةِ That the Prophet وسلم, Jibreel used to come upon him with the sunnah, just as he used to come to him with the Qur'an. Jibreel used to come to him to teach him the Qur'an. He used to come to him to teach him the sunnah also. Sunnah has to be accepted, all of it, implemented, practiced. Not blind following, but our forefathers, they always taught us to do this. Or our grandfathers always taught us to do it like that. But the sunnah tells you a different thing. Sunnah tells you it's like this or it's like that. You don't blindly follow what your forefathers said. Remember what we said about Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, and Al-Imam Malik, and Al-Imam Shafi'i, and Al-Imam Ahmed. All of them said, if you ever notice that one of my opinions, it goes against what the Qur'an and the Sunnah says anywhere, then take my opinion and throw it away. Al-Imam Shafi'i said, throw my opinion against the wall, get rid of it. They all said that. If you ever see us, anyone, they all said, if we ever make some statement or opinion that goes against what is in the Qur'an and the Sunnah, then throw away what I said. All of them said that. So it is not blind following. It is not blind following a madhab. It is following all of that Sunnah. And this is another point. Many of the people of deviation now, of course, all claim to follow the Sunnah. But it is the method in which they follow the Sunnah. We spoke about that briefly before. The method is via the Salaf, their understanding of it. But on top of that, there's another method they have which causes some deviation for them. Which is that they'll follow the Sunnah, but very specific points. So they will select a particular hadith. One hadith which is authentic. And they'll use that one hadith to base a whole issue upon. And to base a whole opinion upon. That's what you have to do. Based upon one hadith. Ahlu Sunnah, it's not like that. Ahlu Sunnah, we don't isolate narrations, one here, one there, and make rulings in isolation. The Sunnah is not implemented in isolation. The sunnah is implemented together. So now, if somebody comes along with one hadith, and they build their whole argument on that, but then somebody else comes along, and on that topic that's being discussed, 
he brings 20 hadith. He's going to be in a far better position to have a proper understanding of that issue and what the correct opinion is, as opposed to somebody trying to bring just one hadith and base everything upon that. Or one ayah in isolation and try and base the whole opinion upon that. Whereas there are many ayat, when you look at them together, it clarifies the issue to you. So this is a point. The people of deviation may well bring sunnah to you, bring Qur'an to you, but often they will bring an ayah or a hadith in isolation. And they'll say, look, authentic hadith or not? Authentic. They'll say, that proves you can do X, Y, and Z. Basing their opinion on this one narration. Ahlul Sunnah, you bring all of the narrations together. You show them, okay, that hadith is there, and it seems to indicate X, Y, and Z. But look, when you put this hadith into the context with the other hadith that are talking about the same issue, when you look at them all together and you understand the issue, then you come to the proper conclusion. With all of the narrations together. Because with them together, you have a proper understanding of the issue. One of them isolated, another one there isolated, then you're not going to get the full understanding of the issue. So this is what they do sometimes, the people of innovation. They'll bring one ayah in isolation and use that for their proof, for their whole position. Whereas Ahl Sunnah will bring to them all of the Qur'an. We'll bring to them ayat from here, ayat from there, showing that this issue is to be understood in a way that they have not understood it. Because they've tried to take one evidence and try and understand it from that alone. So with the Sunnah, it's a case of implementing all of it. Putting it all together. Not taking one narration there, one narration here in isolation. Then, as we move on from here now, أَوَّلًا تَدْوِينُ السُّنَّةِ بَدَأَ فِي حَيَاتِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ So here now, it's going to start talking about the issue that we just touched upon. How some of the people of innovation, some of the enemies of Islam who want to cast doubt upon the sunnah, they'll say, okay, so you've got the sunnah which is in Bukhari, Muslim, Ibn Majah, Abu Dawud. All of these books were written a hundred years, two hundred years after the Prophet Late, very late. What was happening in the first one hundred, two hundred years then? How do we know these books are accurate? So now we're going to start talking about that. To prove that there wasn't just some type of gap, an age of darkness, a gap. And then suddenly 200 years later, Bukhari Muslim, everybody started writing the books of hadith. There wasn't some gap in between. In that time, from the time of the Prophet up until the first century, second century, third century, it was all recorded and written. So what we're going to look at first is, the first section in this, how the sunnah was written down, Written down in the first century. That's the first topic. And within that, in the first century, we're going to begin with directly at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. At the time of the Prophet ﷺ, the Sunnah was being recorded. 
the sunnah was being written down. اشتهر بين عامة الناس من غير ذوي التتبع والاستقصاء أن الحديث أو ما يطلق عليه علماء الحديث أما يطلق عليه علماء الحديث لفظ العلم ظل أكثر من مئة سنة يتناقله العلماء حفظا دون أن يكتبه What is widespread amongst people is this belief that during the time of the Prophet وسلم, and the first generation there was no such thing as books and writing down. It was all just memory. That's what's widespread amongst people. They think in the time of the companions, at the time of the Prophet, they used to just go there, learn it, memorize it, and that's all there was. Nobody ever used to write things down. There wasn't any books or nothing. That's what people think. واستمر هذا الظن قرابة خمس قرون متتابعة وهو يزيد توسعا ويضطرد قوة for the first five centuries for the first five centuries people had this type of suspicion and belief and they were spreading these types of things and it was something of an opinion that in those early times of the companions they never used to write anything down it was just memory, all memory that's a type of thought that began to gain some weight amongst people in the early days. However, the reason, what is the reason? Why is that a thought that is widespread amongst people that in the early days of the companions, they never used to write down the sunnah? Just used to memorize it, never used to write it down. Why do people have that thought in the first place? There are some misunderstandings that have led people to think that the sunnah wasn't written down and recorded in the early days. There are some misunderstandings. And that is, سَبَبُ هَذَا الظَّنِّ فَهُوَ خَطَأْ فِي تَأْوِيلْ مَا وَرَدَ عَنِ الْمُحَدِّثِينَ فِي تَدْوِينِ الْحَدِيثِ وَتَصْنِيفِهِ فَقَدْ ذَكَرَ هَؤُلَاءِ أَنَّ أَوَّلَ مَنْ دَوَّنَ الْعِلْمِ إِبْنُ شِهَابَ الزُّهْرِ it is a misunderstanding from what the scholars mentioned. People have misunderstood what the scholars mentioned. Scholars have mentioned that the first person to write down this knowledge, write it down into like a book as we call it now. The first person to do that they say was an Imam Ibn Shihab Az-Zuhri who died in the year 124 or 125 Hijri. 124 or 25 years after the Hijrah. So just over 100 years after the death of the Prophet ﷺ, he died. They say he was the first one to write down the knowledge, to write down into what we may call books these days, a gathering of that knowledge. وَذَكَرُوا أَوَّلَ مَنْ صَنَّفَ الْكُتُبِ فَإِذَا هُمْ جَمِيعًا مِمَّنْ عَاشَ حَتَّى بَعَدْ سَنَةً 143 تقريباً 143 Then the scholars mentioned that the first people to write proper books proper books they were all people they were all people who died after the year 143 Hijri so let's say, assuming they lived a hundred years even, that would mean they were born approximately 40, 50 years after the Hijrah, because they lived to 140, 150 after the Hijrah. So let's say, assuming they lived even a hundred years, 
That would have meant they were born 40 or 50 years after the Hijrah. On a reasonable basis, let's assume they were at least in their 20s before they started writing these books. That would make it approximately 70 years after the Hijrah. 60, 70 years after the Hijrah. So 60 years or so after the death of the Prophet So that would still leave what appears to be a gap of 60, 70, 80 years where there was no books, no writing, nothing happening. But this is the misunderstanding. When scholars have mentioned that the first to write down this knowledge was Ibn Shihab al-Zuhri, and he died in 124-125, and the scholars who wrote down into books properly all died after 140 Hijri, all of that indicating that writing didn't start till a few decades after the Prophet ﷺ passed away, it is a misunderstanding. We'll come to the explanation of that here. وَلَمْ يُعْطِ الْعُلَمَاءِ قَبْلَ الْخَطِيبِ هَذِهِ الْأَقْوَالِ حَقَّهَا مِنَ التَّأْوِيلِ الْعَمِيقِ وَالْفَهْمِ الدَّقِيقِ بَلْ رَوَوْ هَذِهِ الْأَقْوَالِ بِشَكْلٍ يُوهِمُ بِأَنَّهُ فِعْلًا أَوَّلَ مَنْ كَتَبَ الْحَدِيثِ وَدَوَّنَهُ ابْنُ شِهَابِ الزُّهْرِ وَأَوَّلُ مَنْ صَنَّفَهُ فِي الْكُتُبِ أَتَبَعْدَهِ and the scholars in the early days used to just write that down in their books as a matter of fact, that Ibn Shihab al-Zuhri was the first one to write anything down, and the scholars who actually wrote books were even after him. Many of them used to just write that into their books as though it was like a matter of fact, without explaining the details behind it. وَغَلَبَتْ هَذِي الْفِكْرَةَ عَلَىٰ أَصْحَابِ الْكُتُبِ الْجَامِعَةِ كأبي طالب المكي والإمام الذهبي والحافظ ابن حجر والمقريزي وصاحب أبجد العلوم وغيرهم فكانوا يجدونها رغم أنهم كانوا يجدون لها نقيضا وذلك أنهم يذكرون أن من بعد الصحابة والتابعين كانوا يرون العلم من صحف صحيحة غير مرتبة كتبت في عصر الصحابة والتابعين So some scholars even began to propagate this opinion Some scholars even uh, uh, began to say that writing and books didn't happen till decades after the Prophet ﷺ, even though there are clear evidences, there are evidences indicating that actually writing down the knowledge into books, writing down the knowledge on records, registered, written down, occurred at the time of the companions. It did. إِذَنْ حَصَلَ هُنَاكَ تَدْوِينٌ قَبْلَ عَصْرِ الْإِمَامِ الزُّهْرِ الَّذِي يُعِدُّ مِنْ طَبَقَةِ صِغَارِ التَّابِعِينَ So writing down this knowledge occurred well before Al-Imam al-Zuhri. Occurred before him. وَقَدْ حَاوَلَتْ الْخَطِيبِ وَحَاوَلَ الْخَطِيبِ أَنْ يُثْبِتَ أَنَّ تَقِيِّدَ الْعِلْمِ كَانَ مَوْجُودٌ فِي حَيَاتِهِ صلى you may have heard of Al-Khatib Al-Baghdadi. He has a famous book. In that book, it's basically a much more detailed version of what we have here. He breaks it down when the, the hadith were written down, how they were written down, who recorded them, who wrote them, when that happened, all the details are in there. And he attempted to prove in that book of his that writing down hadith and writing down sunnah began at the time of the Prophet. صلى الله عليه وسلم فقاده ذلك إلى البحث في تاريخ تقييد العلم 
فجمع الحديث والأخبار التي لها صلة بنشأة تقييد العلم وهي أكثر مما جمعه سلفه ووجدها تنتظم في حلقتين مختلفتين متضادتين فبعضها يشير إلى جواز كتابة الحديث والإقبال عليه والآخر يظهر خلاف ذلك وهذا ما قد كان وجده متقدمه غير أنه ألف شيئا جديدا فيها وهو أن بعضها يتضمن الإشارة إلى سبب كراهة الكتابة فبداله أن يفرد هذه النصوص بباب خاص علها تنطق من نفسها عما يزيل الخلاف ويرفع التناق He gathered Al-Khatib al-Baghdadi, the scholar, got together all of the various narrations talking about when knowledge was first written down, when books were first written. He basically discovered two types of narrations. He discovered that there were narrations indicating the companions did not allow writing to be done. But then he discovered another category of narrations that indicated the companions allowed it, but that there was a reason why sometimes they would not allow it. So he came across two sets of narrations, some of them indicating the companions did not allow writing down, others indicating they allowed the writing down. So there seemed to be this conflict in what was being narrated about what used to happen at the time of the companions. Some narrations indicating they never used to write anything down and they didn't allow that. Other narrations indicating they were okay with it, writing down the hadith and writing down the sunnah. But he also discovered that they did have certain reasonings as to why they might not write down the sunnah at certain times and situations. And he mentioned all of this in his particular book, Taqiyidul uh, Ilm, as it is known as. And inshallah, if I remember, I'll bring a copy next week and you can see that particular book, Taqiyidul Ilm, that Al-Khatib al-Baghdadi wrote. In that book of his, in one chapter, من القسم الأول الفصل الأول من القسم الأول من كتابه للأحاديث خصصه للأحاديث المرفوعة التي تنهى عن كتابة الحديث. He mentioned some actual hadith of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم that forbade writing down hadith. He actually found some narrations from the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم that indicate the impermissibility of writing down hadith. لكن هذه الروايات كلها على اختلاف طرقها لم يصح منها شيء سوى حديث بسعيد الخدري However all of those hadith that he found from the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم saying that it's not allowed to write down sunnah all of them are weak except one except one the narration of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri where it is mentioned, لا تكتبوا عني ومن كتب عني غير القرآن فليمحو Do not, the Prophet said, do not write anything from me. Whomsoever writes anything from me besides the Quran, 
besides the Qur'an, then wipe it out, get rid of it, rub it out. That narration is mentioned. It's in Muslim, Sahih Muslim. That the Prophet said, don't write down anything from me. Anything other than the Qur'an, get rid of it. So that indicates, Qur'an, you could write that down. Hadith, you weren't supposed to write them down. Hadith in Muslim seems to indicate that. وَقَدْ أَعَلَّهُ أَمِيرُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ فِي الْحَدِيثِ أَبُوْ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ الْبُخَارِ وَغَيْرُهُ بِالْوَقْفِ عَلَىٰ أَبِي سَعِيدِ Al-Imam al-Bukhari though, his opinion on this hadith is that actually that was the statement of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, the narrator himself. Not the statement of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So even with that one, there is, there is a difference as to whether it is the statement of the Prophet ﷺ or whether that was the statement of the companion Abu Sa'id al-Khudri. Then after that, Al-Imam al-Khatib al-Baghdadi also mentioned other narrations that talk about the permissibility or the impermissibility of writing down narrations and why the companions didn't like that. وعمد رحمه الله في الفصل الأول من القسم الثاني إلى ذكر الروايات عن الصحابة التي تنص على علة قراءتهم لكتابة ما سوى القرآن. So then he clarified why some of the companions why they didn't like writing down hadith, and that reason was it's mentioned لألا يضاها بكتاب الله تعالى غيره أو يشتغل عن القرآن بسواه. They didn't want anything being confused with the Qur'an that they were all writing down. Imagine in those days, it wasn't books, papers and scrolls and parchments here and there. They didn't want confusion occurring. That somebody has a scroll with ayat of the Qur'an when he's been writing them down, and then he has another scroll where he writes some hadith and sunnah down and he gets confused as to what was what and they didn't want any confusion occurring between the Qur'an and then the Sunnah. So they would write the Qur'an and they wouldn't write the Sunnah on papers in case mixtures occurred, confusion occurred between the Qur'an and the Sunnah. On top of that, they didn't want people beginning to focus more on the Sunnah and becoming negligent of the Qur'an. That everybody started writing down the Sunnah and all these are hadith. And they forgot about the Qur'an. They didn't want that either. They didn't want people to start competing against the Qur'an with Sunnah. That they are writing more and more of the Sunnah and the Qur'an is being neglected. So they had these types of reasons. And of course, uh, they wanted to make sure that there was a clear distinction between Qur'an and Sunnah. Because the rulings are different. The Qur'an, you recite it and there is reward for every letter you recite. The Qur'an, you can pray with it in your prayer. Hadith, you can't read hadith in your prayer after the Fatiha. So there's a big difference between the revelation of the Qur'an and the hadith in those regards. Reward for reciting the Qur'an, the words, read the Qur'an in your prayer. There are differences. Sunnah, hadith, you can't do that. You can't read that in your prayer. You, you don't get reward just for reading the letters like the letters of the Qur'an. There are differences in those regards. 
So they didn't want any confusion or any mixing to occur between those things. Between the Qur'an and between the Sunnah. Another reason why at that time of the companions they didn't particularly like to write much, it's mentioned that at the time of the companions, obviously they were very strong in their memorization. They feared that if everybody just started writing everything down, then people would become less focused on their memorization. That everybody would just rely on their books, rely on what they've written down, and nobody would focus on making sure to memorize all of those hadith. So they weren't particularly pushing the idea of everybody writing things down. Because they wanted to push the memorization, everybody focus on that. So there was this issue that maybe people would become slack uh, in uh, 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 memorization, particularly now in reference to the tabi'een and the time after that. So in those early days, maybe that's another reason why they didn't want to particularly write so much. However, as we are going to come to see, that does not mean that they didn't actually write. They did actually write at that time. They used to write, and there are evidences to indicate that. From those is a hadith of Abu Hurairah. And he says, مَا مِنَ الصحابة أَحَدٌ أَكْثَرَ حَدِيثًا مِنِّي إِلَّا مَا كَانَ مِنْ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ بْنِ عَمَرْ فَإِنَّهُ يَكْتُبُ وَأَنَا لَا أَكْتُبُ He said, there is no companion. Abu Huraira said, there is no companion who has more hadith than me. There is no companion who has more hadith than me. Except Abdullah ibn Amr. Because he used to write them down and I never used to write that's what Abu Huraira says. Proving therefore that other companions were writing. He says, he used to write, but I never used to write. So he used to write, affirming it was written in those times. Similarly, it's mentioned about the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. خَطَبَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ sallam فِي فَتْحِ That the Prophet sallam gave a khutbah in the conquering of Mecca and he said, Uktubu li Abi Shah. Write for Abu Shah. He was telling them, write, write it down. Write this knowledge down. And there are actually many narrations where the Prophet used to tell them, write these details down and then send them to this country or that country. Details of the Sunnah. In the narration of Ibn Abbas, Anna Rasulullah that the Messenger said when he was ill. In his final illness, اَتُونِي بِكِتَابٍ أَكْتُبُ لَكُمْ كِتَابًا لَا تَظِلُّ بَعْدَهِ That the Prophet ﷺ said to them, bring me a book, a notepad, and I will write for you, meaning the sunnah, so that you don't go astray after it. Prophet ﷺ was telling them in his final illness, bring me something and I'll write it down for you. The sunnah, I'll write down the sunnah for you, so that you do not go astray afterwards. So that is a clear proof the Prophet 
affirming to them the writing of the sunnah. He saying to them, bring me something and I'll write it down for you. Abu Hurairah saying, Abdullah ibn Amr used to write the hadith down. So the fact that the narrations were being written at that time is definitely proven. Sunnah was being written down from the time of the Prophet ﷺ. And it cannot be said there was a gap of a hundred years before it actually got written down. In that hundred years it was all just memory. So who knows how many mistakes were made by the time they actually wrote it down. No. It was being written down. It was being recorded. It was being memorized. All of that was occurring in preservation of it. Until when it got to the stage of writing it into books, it was there, properly memorized, written, it was clear. It wasn't a case of now let's try and work out to the best of our ability what to write down a hundred years later. It was all there, memorized, learned, in papers, written down in sections. It wasn't a case of blindly writing afterwards. We'll have to round off on that point for today then, we'll carry on with the next section. Uh, next week inshallah ta'ala which continues to give more details about the sunnah being written down more examples of some of the books that were written down and then we're actually going to come and have a good look at Sahih al-Bukhari all the biography of Imam al-Bukhari all about the book Sahih al-Bukhari how many hadith are in it then after that Sahih Muslim the biography of Imam Muslim about his book Sahih Muslim how many hadith in it all of that is going to come one by one in these following lessons inshallah so we'll round off on that for today then. Carry on next week at 7 p.m. insha'Allah. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Any questions or anything? What, sorry? Oh, uh, the, how they initially took that misguidance from the sources of non-Muslims regarding that. Okay, we'll do that. We won't do it now, but we'll do it inshallah one day. Well, uh, there's, there's, in the books of Aqidah, they give you the chains of narration of how the misguided people took their knowledge from. And how some of these individuals, they took their knowledge from the, from the Jews, from the, the Mushrikun. That's where their chains of narration go to. The Jahmiya, the, the Mu'tazila, and these different groups. Their leaders, where they took their knowledge from, ends up at non-Muslims. So inshallah one day we'll, we'll bring that there. We'll bring that as well, read through those chain generation. Alright, in that case, next week then, 7 o'clock inshallah. Hmm. So if the narration is authenticated, that it should not be hidden, so then why is the Sahaba would like Which narration? The Muslim. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. If it is forbidden, why is it? No, that, that, because they're going to explain that now. What was the reason for it being forbidden? And the explanation of that is going to come a bit more as well. It was mostly about the Qur'an. So confusion does not occur about the Qur'an. When that confusion was no longer present, it was clear the Qur'an was all finished, revealed, and it was written down in the house of Abu Bakr. Abu Bakr wrote all of the Qur'an down and he had it in his house. So now there was no problem, no confusion could occur. The Qur'an was all in one place written down in the house of Abu Bakr. So now other companions, if they were going to write down things, they were going to write hadith, it was no problem. So now even if the prohibition was there at the beginning, then it was for certain reasons. When those reasons were not applicable, then it was correct to write. But it wasn't an absolute prohibition anyway. Because in that other narration, the Prophet himself said, bring me a book, I'll write it down for you. And other companions were writing it. 
And if it was haram to write, impermissible to write, then like we said before, if anything was happening at the time of the companions that was impermissible, revelation would have come telling the Prophet, tell the companions X, Y, and Z. So it was definitely allowed. And that prohibition was only for specific reasonings, if it is authentic. Al-Imam al-Bukhari said, it's the companion who said that, not the Prophet anyway. Mm. You know when you mentioned that um, many weekly say that uh, they, they shouldn't be written down, mm. um, No, it depends. If you have lots of weak hadith together, sometimes the combination of those narrations can all push themselves into acceptability. Only if, there's a condition to that though, only if all of those weak narrations are minor weakness. If they are all major weakness, major, like you've got one narration A with some major problems in it. Liars in the chain of narration. Narration B, you've got whole sections of the chain missing. If they've got major, major problems in them, you can have a hundred of them, they'll never get to authentic levels. But that thing about combining weak narrations to push them through to acceptability is only if they're just minor issue in that one there, so it's weak. A minor issue in that one there is just not passing the line, it's weak. A minor issue in that one is just not getting past the line, weak. But they're all just falling short. Now you combine them all, we can push them across. But when they all, every one individually is falling massively short, every one of them is falling with a major problem short, you can't combine them and ever push them up. Mm. Ustaz, you mentioned the name Abu Talib al-Mahdi. Um, he's mentioned as a scholar of the Salaf Sufism, so was he like um, not influenced by it hugely like other people are? Allah alam, I don't know. We'll have to look into the biography to see what his uh, state was. Yeah. <coughs> Alas, then next week, inshallah, we'll carry on 7 p.m., inshallah.